This is Patrick Gearhart with Coronation Radio, one of your many shows on the Coronation Network. Today, you're not going to be listening to me talk on and on about college basketball or Nebraska ball, more importantly. Today, I'm actually going to be discussing college football. And today, we've got a special guest, SB Nation guru, senior writer of Secret Base, co-host of the Split Zone 2.0, Stephen Godfrey. Stephen, how are you today, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. How are things down in Nashville? Uh, good. Still very, very hot. Ready for, uh, you know, I, I, I long for October weather. Good football <laughs> weather. How, uh, how does it get in, in October down that far south? Um, late, you know, lately it's been, it's still been pretty warm, but October is kind of when you have the ideal kind of like everyone's outside and tailgating and not sweating. And you might actually have a second layer of long sleeves on. That's kind of our barometer in, uh, in Tennessee. Gotcha. So it's kind of, kind of like our September almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in Nebraska. Yeah. We're a little, we're a little late to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that sounds good. That sounds good. Well, we're right around the corner for college football. Week zero starts in under two weeks now. Uh, with Nebraska starting against Illinois in Champaign, which we'll get to in a little bit. But just with this whole year and a half with COVID and conference realignment, just to start things off, what are your general thoughts on this upcoming college football season? I mean, I think it's going to be way more normal than people uh, might want to give it credit for. I know that we're in the middle of dealing with the with the Delta variant surge, but um, I do think some of the measures that are in place and just the, the sort of generic understanding that we have from last year uh, and all aspects of the culture being, you know, from the media all the way to the administrators to health officials and coaches and players. Like, I do think we're going to see much more of a general idea of normalcy uh, in the stadiums and, and around the teams this year. And, and, you know, I, I don't think that we will make it all the way without some sort of hiccup in the schedule, but it will be nothing compared to what we dealt with last year. Do you think from everybody you've talked to, I know you're fairly well connected in the media, that a lot of these teams, especially the top 25, top 40 football programs in the nation, do you think most of them are fairly well prepared for this upcoming season in regards to COVID and any possible breakouts that they might have? Yeah, I think so. Just because pretty, I mean, when you talk about top 40, top 50, you know, everyone's dealt with this. As long as you're not, um, you know, just really a handful of programs like, you know, UConn or something like that, that just that, you know, actually did not play last year. Um, everyone has already gone through this once and they have a pretty good understanding of what it is that they'll have to do or not do or adjust to. So um, I think if anything, on the football side, the coaches are very happy that there is this ridiculous amount of returning experience. I think that's more of a group of five thing. Um, I, I think some of the, the lower tier group of five schools are enjoying a, a level of depth that they don't normally get. So I think you might actually see some good football from it. Now, you hear a lot of coaches from univer- major universities saying like they have 70, 80 hundred percent of their team or you know whether that's the players the coaches support staff uh vaccinated i i'm having a hard time believing a lot of these guys (laughs) you know i mean like how easy or hard is it to really track something like that with inside of a program you know it's funny i I really don't think that number means anything unless it's zero or 100 i think if you have someone come out and say hey we're 100 vaccinated and that includes Players, coaches, support staff, anyone, any personnel, anyone around the building, that means something because then you can verify that. It's a lot easier if you're in the media to go out and search out and figure out, okay, well, 
you know, all I have to do is find one person who's not. And then that, then I can tell if that coach is telling the truth or not, you know, claiming 25 or 65 or 85%, that's, it, it doesn't mean anything. And because of the privacy laws and because of, you know, various state laws on, you know, what can be disclosed publicly about a student athlete's health, like we're never going to find out. So I think those numbers are just very silly and arbitrary. Well, and, and I bring that up partially because this is a Nebraska football podcast. Scott Frost has not mentioned, and he refuses to mention through, I can't remember which random patient's rights thing that I don't think would hold up in a court of law, that he, he, he won't mention the, the percentage, but he wants it to be higher. Uh, you know, I hear stuff like that come out of certain programs, and it's a little disconcerting going into this year, especially considering many of these conferences, excluding the Big Ten so far, are straight up saying there's going to be no makeup games. You know, you forf- You know, you, if you have a COVID no, outbreak, yeah, yeah. If, you, if if you have a COVID COVID outbreak, you're you're losing that game. So I, I mean, don't. It, oh, I would say this. I don't think that you're actually going to see forfeits based on a lack of personnel and like in terms of like hey we actually only have this many people that can we, we do not have enough individuals to play the game because of walk-ons and because of the um the size of of rosters at the you know fbs level i don't think you'll see that happen i do think you will see some like some actually really bad football like i think that if, if you have a, a a program that is legitimately not over 65 to 70 percent vaccinated and it runs through there in a given week there is a possibility to have a very, very thin roster and and not really be able to mask it or hide it. And I think beat writers are going to be on the lookout for that as well. And, you know, certain guys are just not, you know, when you're talking about looking at a two deep and not recognizing a name or just having some third stringer walk on starting a game, I think it's going to be pretty obvious this year what's going on now. That doesn't mean they're going to comment on it. We're still going to be in the dark, but I mean, it, it's it's pretty obvious. Uh, in terms of a lot of these conferences dealing with COVID up to this season, which conference, I mean, I, I assume the power five conferences are okay. Now, what about the group of five? How are they looking? It's about the same, to be honest, it's pretty much the same situation. I mean, this is not something that is tech or, you know, fine. It's not a, a technological advancement or something that's financially exclusive. I mean, if anyone in America right now can go get a, COVID vaccine. So it's true. It's free. Um, so it's not one of those things where, you know, many, many, many of the sort of debates and comparisons and things we have to look at between the G5 and the P5 usually just involve access, privilege, finance, but this is not one of them. So uh, it's more or less the same. I think you you will definitely find, you'll probably have some G5 teams who end up more vaccinated before the season starts than P5 teams. Um, whether or not that helps them, I, I genuinely don't know. Not sure. Is a lot of this, and again, I ask you because you're a national writer, we're very much more parochial <laughs> in our region. Is is a lot of this cultural, regional in certain aspects? Like, are there certain areas of the country where you're seeing certain teams or certain groups that are struggling with, you know, vaccinations and, and, and the proper protocols? Um. Yeah, yes and no. I think it depends on, again, the information we're getting, like it's all anecdotal. There's nothing from an official channel I'm getting from any school where I feel particularly confident about it. And like we did the whole talking season thing in July where everyone, again, was talking about a number of percentage or we hope to have this or whatever. It's just no way to know. There's no way to verify any of that. So I kind of just tossed the baby out with the bathwater. But 
Um, I don't think you can track it or, or hook it to one region being better than the other one, one coaching staff. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, to, you know, to be totally honest, I'm always dubious of the information that's available. Um, because in the case of vaccination specifically, again, unless you are saying to me, 100% of our team is vaccinated. If there's any incident or, you know, obviously vaccinated people can still have symptoms and contract COVID, but it, there 100 or zero is something I can, as a reporter, go out and prove and see in my own hands. Everything else, I just doubt the validity of. No, that makes perfect sense. So moving on from COVID, I kind of wanted to get that out of the way because that's kind of the matter that at hand. In terms of the teams this upcoming year, who's going to be good? Who's not going to be good? How do you see this upcoming season shaping out? I mean, is it going to be the same old Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State? Or, you know, are things going to be shaken up a little bit due to the fact that you have a lot of super seniors across the nation. Um, you know, I don't know if the super senior stuff and, and, and the, the permissible, let's call it roster manipulation is going to affect the very, very top of college football. I think it's going to make interesting. It's going to make for interesting outcomes in the middle. And I think at the bottom, um, but I don't know if, I, you know, look, those teams that you just rattled off are perennial for a reason. And I would love to come on here and say that I think there's going to be some vast difference in the, in the national title race where things are just going to look different. I, I don't, I don't know why I would say anything other than those teams right now. Obviously there's some shift and some personnel issues. Like, you know, for instance, Ohio state and Clemson, they're going to break in new quarterbacks. Alabama has got a bunch of new skill position players, but at the same time, the reason they're there is not individual accomplishments from skill position people it's it's that they are factories they are creating really perfect recruit i mean perfect cycles of recruiting they don't stop they reload and so i haven't seen anything that could disrupt that from the outside so at the very top unfortunately i would say it's probably the same if there was anybody to disrupt that this year who would it be who should we keep an eye on I mean, if we're okay, so if we're if we're going by the the kind of the letter of the law there, um, and it's not Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, or Oklahoma, um, I think you know if you go to the SEC first, um, there's obviously Georgia would make as strong a case as they've been they've been able to since they were in the national title game uh, by virtue of the quarterback, by virtue of the offense that we think we're going to see. So I think they would be a candidate. Um, I do not think anything changes in the ACC with respect to Clemson because they are just so far ahead. However, I do think North Carolina is capable of causing noise in the machine and maybe knocking Clemson out of a playoff spot if things broke. Uh, and then the other ones that I would pick would be Iowa State, pretty much the same dynamic there in the Big 12. Um, I think the Big 10 is – I wouldn't say it's written in stone by any stretch. I definitely think Penn State will be better. And I think you're going to have a lot of formidable teams in the Big Ten West. The problem is, the problem with the top end of the West is I just think they're going to keep trading punches because they throw, you know, they, they just they fight so similarly. Um, and then in the West, I, I, you know, I like Oregon. I do. Um, I, I don't think it's impossible for the Pac-12 to send a playoff team this year. And if they do, it's almost certainly going to be Oregon. I don't think USC will be bad. I don't know if I'm ready to feel confident about them going <laughs> deep into into November and keeping it all together. So basically, no change over the past few years. <laughs> no, you know, I, I think that's that. I, I think there's always a chance of that second class. I do think that you know, uh, Cincinnati has one of the best G five teams we've seen in the playoff era. I, I do think they would be 
more than deserving if they ran the table because that would include beating Notre Dame. Um, I think they've got another quality game. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, oh, Indiana. So they play Indiana. They play Notre Dame. If they, I think if they beat both of those teams. And then Indiana goes on to have a season similar to what they had last year. And then Notre Dame is, is, is you know, competitive. Um, then I think that, yeah, they, they should be considered for the playoff if they're undefeated. Absolutely. God. No, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially considering you look at these teams from the past few years. But let's <clears throat> this is a this is a Nebraska podcast. So we're going to shift gears over to our beloved Huskers. Uh, it's Scott Frost's fourth year. It's been a rough few. Not everything has fallen according to anybody's plan so far. Uh, in fact, one of my colleagues at Coronation was waxing poetically today on Skype about how this team's just straight up unlucky. However, we all know luck has nothing to do with what's happened over the past decade or two. Um, what's your current view on Nebraska right now? I think it's a mess. Um, yeah, pl- and, and honestly, please be honest. I asked you on this podcast for a reason. I don't want yeah. fluff. I, you know, g- give us some real meat and potatoes. You know, <laughs> um, I, I do. I do think it's a tremendous mess. I think this is a program that is leading the nation. You know, along with maybe Tennessee or a couple others, and just a, a full blown identity crisis. I think what they want to be, what they are, and their and and what they see as a, a reasonable path towards you know back to success. It just it feels incongruent to me. This is not a Nebraska team that has a particular identity about it. It doesn't really change my my opinion about Nebraska has not really changed since Scott Frost it has put these 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 last couple seasons in. If anything, it's more the same to me than the than the previous failures in, in previous coaching staffs. So what that tells me is less about Scott Frost, and it's a referendum on the program. It's a referendum on what the program values and what what the program expects. I think that. Um, I don't know if this is going to work out. I, I don't know specifically what is with, you know, I have this thing I'm kind of developing like the 2020 rule, which is I'm trying to hammer out again. You, you take away that reliable top end of the sport, the school, the schools that we just talked about. And when you apply the 2020 rule to some of the weird circumstantial things that occurred, like, you know, Colorado being really good or Arkansas being really good or Penn state being really bad. More than likely, I think it will bear out as we get to October of this year, we can look back and go, okay, hey, that probably was just an, uh, that was a symptom of what was going on last year and, and the weirdness of 2020. Now, certain things I believe were good. I, I believe certain programs ascended in 2020 and will and will stay that way. Like I think that um, Coastal Carolina and Indiana, for instance, are good programs and they just mm-hmm. happen to hit their stride in terms of personnel. Um, Nebraska, the problem is it just, it, 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 it's so, it was muddled before. And I saw, of course, nothing last year that would lead me in any direction to think that it, it will be much different. I know there's a lot of consternation about the Oklahoma game and I get that, but, um, I think, I think the fan base, the alumni, and then the staff themselves have to be honest and set a realistic goal that this year it's not it's it's not a, a number of wins i do think you have to finish over 500 obviously but i don't I, I think after that it has to be about we're we're showing consistency and development we have a we have a much more solid identity on offense we have a much more solid identity on defense schematically i don't i'm going to be honest with you i don't care i think it's just more about the inconsistency with individual yeah i have i've got a lot of questions <laughs> about why is this why is this person leaving or why is this person performing the way they are and 
Yeah, I, I think Nebraska may be cursed with a quarterback that is just always pretty pretty good-ish, but never great. And it's really hard as a pretty good-ish, but never great quarterback gets more and more experience to deviate away from that, especially when you're in the situation Nebraska's in and you're trying to develop consistency. We may see more of that this year. Um, it, to me, Nebraska's puzzling because I don't know what our baseline should be uh, where we can draw a line and say, hey, you got to do this or else, or you know, you got to be this good or X. Um, th- that's the tricky thing with the Huskers. Whereas pretty much everybody else, even in the West, if I were to go down the list of schools in the West, I, I could give you a benchmark. I could say, all right, well, you know, Purdue, Purdue for instance, what do you like? What happened here, right? Uh, you you came in preaching this. You executed upon it. You recruited really good wide receivers. Your offense has fallen apart. Your defense isn't good enough. Okay, they're very clear, identifiable situation. Minnesota, roughly the same. What is the ceiling for a program like Wisconsin or Iowa this year? You, you everyone makes a, a little bit of sense. Northwestern is losing their defensive coordinator of like twenty odd years. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, and they're going to cycle through another transfer quarterback, so I know what to look for there. The problem with Nebraska is the problem is is that there the problems are so myriad that on the outside as national writers we often don't know where to start. Um, I'm a little confused by the AD hire, and by a little I mean a lot. <laughs> and I don't really understand if Nebraska understands that you don't really. It, it's just so rare in college sports that you succeed by looking backwards. Um, you know, Oregon is a program that is is really their only tradition is they have no tradition and they've maintained a, a larger national profile and had more success than Nebraska. Or then you take a stalwart national program, a national, you know, nationally recognized historic program like, you know, Alabama, and they have a total willingness to innovate, adapt and go out and seek excellence, but not be married to any one thing. I think maybe the thing that plagues Nebraska is that they are just drowning in their own expectation and dogma. And this is the way it should be. Um, and I, I think that that's crippling. If, if you were to do things differently, or if you today had the chance to dictate a, a rudderless ship, cause I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head, you know, it, you, you look at Nebraska and you're just kind of confused, right? Like there's really no, one thing that sticks out like so many of these other teams that you mentioned, you know, for a team like Nebraska moving forward, you know, looking into the future, you've seen programs from across the nation, study them much more in depth than I have. I mean, just going back to your days as um, podcast ain't playing nobody and everything you guys did there. I mean, you, you know, this, a lot of this stuff like the back of your hand, you read the analytics better than most people I know. What would Nebraska, you know, a program like Nebraska, which, which has a, a, an obnoxiously, I'll just say obnoxious fan base. Uh, we are um, a very strong alumni group, and we are the flagship university of a state with really nothing else sports-wise outside of a certain unfortunate basketball team in Omaha. What would you do if you were Nebraska? I think you have to be honest, and I don't think Nebraska has ever really been honest with itself going all the way back to the end of the Osborne era. And... Again, college football, it'll kill you instantly if you think you can replicate a success using an old blueprint. It just doesn't work that way. It's, and I'm not just talking about one thing, schematics, recruiting, development. It's, it's all of it. And I just don't see any progressive-mindedness 
in terms of running a football program based on the advantages, but more the disadvantages that Nebraska has right now. I think there's a unwillingness to to honor to to deliver as sober and honest an assessment as, as needed in in the Big Ten West and and at that program. I am not saying that this program cannot compete for the Big Ten one day. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, what I am saying is that there are systemic issues here that continually go unaddressed because in order to make those big diagnoses, you've got to make a lot of people with a lot, a lot of power in Nebraska very uncomfortable, and that generally ends up with the result that you see. Uh, again, it, it, you know, the, the situation is frighteningly similar to Tennessee. It really is. Um, I just say that because they're in my backyard in Nashville. Um, I think there are people who would rather maintain their power in and around the program than see it be successful. And, and if it makes you, I don't know if this will make you feel better or feel worse. If you're a Nebraska fan, the, everything I'm saying about Nebraska right now, I would have said about Alabama in 2006. Hmm. So it's literally a power issue. I think it's it's basically way too many people with with no real impact on a program trying to assume control. So it's a little bit kind of a power vacuum metaphor, I guess. But um, I don't know if Scott Frost is going to be the answer. And I'm also fascinated with what they're going to do when it comes time. If it if it does come time to fire him, how that's going to go down? Because this is just not a this is not a place that that tends to to do. To be honest with its native sons, I mean, they just hired one as AD. From the outside, like, no one looks at Nebraska or no one looks at any program in the United States. It has nothing to do with the Huskers. No one looks at any program in the United States that's serious about winning a national title at this level and goes, oh, okay, so they have, an, they have a former player as a coach and alumnus, and they have a former player alumnus as an AD. Hmm. That, like, in 2021... That looks like 1965 does. And it, 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 it's not a referendum. Like I was, I covered the Oregon team that Frost was the OC on, which is the national title. I'm not disputing his ability as an offensive play caller or even a program manager. Cause I watched how fast he got UCF turned around. I yeah. don't know. I just, I, I don't know if I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I, I I think right now that Nebraska should should fire everyone involved and go throw the house at Matt Campbell because Matt Campbell, if Matt Campbell can make Iowa State good, then Nebraska can come to admit how much more similar they are to Iowa State at the moment than they are to Oklahoma. And then Campbell could go about doing good work. And especially the style of, I think the style of what he does is, is more adjacent to the Big Ten and the NFL than the Big 12. And I think he can thrive in Lincoln if, everyone get out of his way. I just have zero faith as an outsider that those people in Lincoln are going to get out of the way ever. No. And that makes perfect. That makes sense to me. And it's, it's interesting. You bring up Tennessee and Alabama because both of those situations, Alabama in the aughts and Tennessee since, Oh God, I can remember. um, Both of them had, at least from my perspective, issues with their administration and the powers that be that were fairly public right Mm -hmm. in nebraska it seems like and this is very midwestern of us and very plains midwestern however you want to look at us like our our dirty laundry doesn't come out until something happens (laughs) you know when, when an ad gets fired that's when our local media burn you know burn to the ground 
right. when our when our coaches get fired, that's when they burn them to the ground. It's not during the process like other parts of the country, because right. and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know in Alabama you have Auburn, so you have people who have a vested interest in watching this other team burn. In Tennessee, it's a similar situation. Only you also have pro sports. You know, writers who it's you know I can piss off the Tennessee fan base because this other one pays my pays my mortgage in Nebraska with our media. The university needs the media about as much as the media needs the university, and it seems like they kind of cohabitate at the expense of reality. Does that make sense? I just did. Well, I think in any system or function whatsoever, and I'll, I'll you know I'll leave you with this. When you have a when when thought and innovation becomes homogenous and like you develop a monoculture and that's never good. Diversity of thought and diversity of input, diversity of experience, diversity of life are pretty much inarguably better recipes to run a business, to run a government, to represent a body of people, or in this case to you know have an athletics program and a football team. And again, I, I think part of what you're saying is that it's just too home cooked, and I would agree with you. But there's there's also so much dissent and fractiousness and all this nonsense we hear about about just the internal workings of when there's a change in Nebraska. So I, I think that you know I could just say, hey, you need to bring in some outsiders and be honest with yourself. But if they're not allowed to be honest, then I, I think you'll see the same thing happen over and over and over again. No, no, I would agree. No. So anyway, we're running out of time. I've got a couple more questions, but Steven, you mind coming on the show again later in the season? Sure. All right. If we make it work, we make it work. Steven, where can our listeners find you and read your stuff? Uh, at 38 Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter, um, over at secret base, got a couple college football videos in the works. And then I'm the co-host of split zone duo as well. Perfect. Thank you very much.